Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And this is the podcast, or some people call us an oddcast, for people who value real, different conversations about business, marketing, and life. And this episode sure fits the bill for being different. We have none other than legendary Silicon Valley entrepreneur, John McAfee. And um, look, I'll just say it up front. This will no doubt be uh, one of our most controversial episodes and certainly our most controversial episode since uh, number 111 with Mia Khalifa. John has been called the most interesting man in the world. He's an outlaw from parts unknown, and he's lived um, part of his adult life on the run somewhere in Latin America. Today, John is a candidate for U.S. president in 2020. Of course, you know his name because uh, he's the founder of McAfee, the security company. He's a provocateur and a pirate. And whether you think he's a hero or a heathen, a sage or a savage, I think you'll find this to be a fascinating conversation. We talk about Silicon Valley and its early, uh, what you could think of as flower power years. We get John's thoughts on Steve Jobs, Larry Ellison, Atari founder Nolan Bushnell, and uh, Bill Gates, and even George Washington. We find out why John's running for president, what he really thinks of the CIA, and I think you'll be particularly intrigued by why John says it doesn't matter who the president is. And there's a lot more in here, I'm telling you. This is a wild one. And if by chance this is your first episode with us, well, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And keep in mind, I'm not a journalist or an interviewer. I'm a former entrepreneur and marketing guy who's curious and interested in real different conversations. And as such, I always try to connect with our guests on their terms. So what you're about to hear is an unedited real dialogue with John McAfee. Now, go to lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com to check out the show notes for this episode. While you're there, we'd love it if you subscribe to our newsletter, The Difference. And now, strap yourself in. Hey-ho, let's go. Silicon Valley was very different back then. It was new as um, a tech hub for the world, a tech center for the world, because if anything happened in technology, I'm talking about computer, software, digital technology, if anything of any important, with one exception, and that was Bill Gates and Microsoft, and he was up in Seattle. Everybody else, I mean, everybody else was in Silicon Valley. So it was a hotbed of ideas and ideals, dreams, uh, some broken, some manifest beyond the wildest expectations, even of their founders. It was a time of, of open exchange of ideas. No one kept anything close to the breast. That was the stupidest of all things. You, know, you, you can't get rich by hiding what you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so it was open. And the personalities were 
extreme, no matter which direction toward extreme you wanted to move. I mean, you had Nolan Bushnell, a good friend of mine, who who and I worked together just three years ago when I was CEO of MGT. He was on the board of directors. It's interesting you mentioned him, John, because I, I think he's one of the unsung heroes. Who, who I think he's one of the unsung heroes. Well, good God almighty, do you realize he invented video games, people? <laughs> there were none until Atari, which is formed by Nolan Bushnell. And for those of you who are not in the know, Atari is a phrase spoken in the Japanese game of Go, which is both the, the most simple in the world and the most sophisticated and subtle. And the word Atari means kind of like check in chess, okay? Check. Your queen's in danger, you'd better do something. In the Japanese game of Go, it's Atari. Now, I think I'm, I'm a Go player in the game of Go, and I think it is the most incredible game ever invented. And um, Japanese emperors uh, or shoguns when they would go to war from the 13th century all the way almost to the 15th century. There were no wars in Japan because the shoguns would sit down. If you were to say, listen, I disagree, you know, okay, well, listen, you want to go to war? You want to play go? And okay, I'll play go because if you could beat somebody in the game of Go, well, you can sure as hell beat them on the battlefield. And Nolan Bushnell called his creation of video games Go. And what he created was a brand new fucking battlefield. The battlefield of digital games. And not the battlefield of of, uh, Atari versus some Japanese knockoff trying to Great games. No, it is the battlefield of you and calm, you and the space. And the incredible thing about that, John, is, you know, today, of course, there are credible universities in the United States of America that give quote unquote esports athletes full ride scholarships to come and play video games in college. Yes. And so that was Nolan Bushel. And we started off by talking about the personalities. That was just one. Then went on to create Chuck E. Cheese uh, and on and on. Now, most of the personalities in Silicon Valley were pleasant, creative, very different. Steve Jobs, as an example, never fucking bathed, not to my knowledge. I met him at a party once, and I could smell him across the room. And um, that was just his thing. He did not have fucking time to take a bath. And I understand that. And so did everybody in that same category who knew him. He is a serious businessman because most of us took baths at least once a month. I know I did. Um, But I also worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week for two years. Not because I had to, because I fucking loved it. I loved what I was doing. 
and, and so did Steve Jobs. Even Larry Ellison, if he ever loved anything, must have loved his job, even though we all avoided Larry like a fucking plague. I mean, we why had did you avoid Larry so anything. much? John, why did you avoid Larry so much? Do you know anything? Because Larry, Larry Ellison, the CEO of, of Oracle. Now, honest to God, that man, I mean, he was brilliant. But he's one of these dweeb, um, geeky developers, so fucking bright. I mean, it blazed, burns your fucking eyes. But that was it. He had no social graces and nothing about the world. Larry was the one, for example, who went on some dating game on television to say, I'm looking for a wife. Uh, is anybody interested? Larry at the time was the third richest man in the fucking world. So you can imagine the response he must have got. But now, Larry was not looking for a wife. He was just looking to fuck 10 women a day. And it run out of viable um, subjects. And so this was his way of doing it. No, a weird fucker. But most, most of the of Silicon Valley... I, I, I can't possibly describe it. The Garden of Eden of technology, where anything went. Well, I appreciate that. That's a great uh, insight on Silicon Valley back in those early days. And I'm curious, John, what you think of it today. I don't know anything about it. I haven't lived there for 25 years. And it is not today what it was. I mean, all the all the giants of Silicon Valley are no longer in Silicon Valley. I mean, the giant of all of us, Steve Jobs, is not even on planet. And uh, Bill Gates, whom was way the fuck up the coast, okay, in Seattle, and none of us really understood nor particularly enjoyed his his conversation because his conversation was all about himself and his company. I mean, I'm not dissing him. It's pretty much the same with everybody. <laughs> Nevertheless, there was not much that fascinating going on either with himself or his company that merited much conversation. But for the rest of us, it was I, I, I it was heaven. Everyone you met in your circle, every moment said something, did something, or showed you something which opened your mind to the potential of digital technology. And trust me, that's not there anymore. Neither is it anywhere on this earth in some localized place. Not that it's not here. It is here. But it's not localized. I've heard it described in the past as sort of like the summer of love of technology. And that's sort of the image I have. It, yeah. It, you know, I also, I'm 74. So I also went through the sixties or right? the, the age of LSD love and rock and roll. So, you know, this, the old saying is if you remember it, you were not there. And I, I know I was there cause I am 74. But I really remember the little. <laughs> but what little I do remember, what little I do remember is identical to what happened in Silicon Valley in the mid 1980s and it 
explosion of ideas and possibilities, an explosion of characters. Everybody accepted why, because we were all geeks, dweebs, <laughs> techheads. And we were all together in this sea of possibility. And it happened because we were all together. God knows why. Maybe it's because of Stanford University. Thought about it over the years. Why there and why then? In all my experience, this mix of space and time and personalities was magical. And as I said, maybe Stanford, you know, might be because it's all of the escapees from San Francisco after the collapse of the 60s went south to Santa Cruz and had to pass through Silicon Valley. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but for whatever reason, for whatever reason, in my 74 years, I have never seen anything like the dawning age of Silicon Valley. And I was there for 15 fucking years, and it was a pleasure, a joy, and an adventure for every second that I was there. Well, I love that, the way, of you, the way you've characterized it. Thank you. And I think, clearly, you were one of the pioneers and and. and uh, may I say, and I say this in the most laudatory way, the pirates of Silicon Valley. <laughs> I've always been the pirate of Silicon Valley. Not just me. Hang on, hang on. Nolan Bushnell was pretty much a pirate himself. You know, he went off on his own. We were going, where the fuck is he going? What's he doing with this game called Ping or Pong, right? And then Space Invaders, and I'll go, God damn, maybe Nolan is onto something. <laughs> I still think... Space Invaders has got to be the best video game, the best video game ever. I agree. Now, with the following exception, for social engagements in a bar, Pac-Man on the little table side stands. Pretty great, right? With a nice, nice scotch and on and water, and and someone on the other side to converse with or you know, pretend to converse with, so that you can take home and sleep with or whatever. Um, now, that, as a video game, is unmatched. And that was Nolan's fucking idea. Let's put it on a coffee table size thing with someone to bars. Well, did they ever? <laughs> so, well, no, and they're even there Nolan, today. Many bars today still have them as a fun retro uh, attraction. Oh, yes. Fuck yeah. But Nolan, Nolan marched to his own drum, all right? And then he went off and he did Chuck E. Cheese. And we were just astonished. We're in a digital world, okay? We're, we're into uh, electronic or magnetic moments on, stored on disk or some other media that we manipulate electronically. And no one's out there building goddamn mooses that sing, right? So, <laughs> so we're going, now what? No, not that we distrusted him by then. We knew that Nolan was. And still is, please God, the genius of Silicon yeah. Valley. And he's still alive. And he, by the way, is doing things in gaming. I spoke to him less than a year ago. <laughs> Doesn't seem like a long time in my life. It's like yesterday. He is doing things in gaming that you 
will not fucking believe he is still our shining light. That's not the so richest of us, not the richest of us, not the most famous of us. Um, you know, <laughs> certainly not the most normal of us. <laughs> but, but the shining light that led us all. I mean, and I'll give you an example. Okay. Now, okay, so Nolan was on the board of directors. This just has happened three years ago. I took the chairman uh, position of MGT, a New York uh, uh, stock exchange public company, for the sole purpose of learning about Bitcoin mining, because they were the sixth largest Bitcoin miner in the world. Uh, so I took the job. And I called Nolan and I said, Nolan, this is pretty fucking tricky. <laughs> Can you help me? Um, you know, gave him a, you know, a, a six or five digit uh, salary just to be at four board meetings per year. Okay. Um, which he did gladly. And he saved my ass and our ass more times than I can count. Here's one. Okay. Certain.com, where he goes, you don't know who he is. Um, by the way, he's in New Zealand, uh, and the U.S. has been trying to extradite him for about nine years for unspecified crimes against humanity involving giving you music and videos. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Kim, Kim.com, look him up, fascinating person, good friend of mine, or was until this MGT fiasco. So, so, so Kim.com is building a new uh, worldwide um, distributed system for getting you copyrighted stuff without worrying about copyrights. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but there was a positive side to this. He was actually doing something quite legal, and I can't describe it, unfortunately, because uh, I'll be breaking a, a contractual agreement. Uh, non-disclosure. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter. So I was about to jump in. I'm going, fuck me. Why? Good deal for MGT. Good deal for everybody. We were going to do a joint venture. Me with my, my blockchain experience of the sixth largest Bitcoin miner in the world. And, you know, so we're going to do some, I mean, seriously. And Nolan's sitting here at the, at the boardroom, at the board meeting. They're just leaning back, and he's rocking very slow, very slow. And he goes, you know, those are the best numbers I've ever seen come up in the boardroom. And I have, I have to commend you, John, uh, for uh, your foresight and planning and, and creativity and making this happen. He says, however, you do know that Kim.com for nine years, has been on the top 10 most wanted list, okay? Uh, even though that has nothing to do with what we are currently doing. Uh, and he's in New Zealand and has bribed every official in New Zealand, and so every legal attempt for these who extradite him has failed, uh, even though they, they, they talked the, the, the New Zealand government into letting 200, 200, Hundred special forces from the FBI descend upon Kim's compound and arrest him. 
He's totally xenophobic. So they said, imagine all of these frustrated FBI government employees that can't get their hands on Kim.com and are salivating. And suddenly, John McAfee announces, I'm doing a deal with Kim.com. It does not matter how legal that deal is, you will become the Kim.com surrogate. And I go, well, fuck me. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? And it's these, you, it seems like we should all notice that. But no, in business, you're so involved in numbers and, and uh, market possibilities and polls and what the customers want and, and the real human shit, which is, aggravated government employees that even though MGT has done nothing wrong, after listening to Nolan goes, well, fuck me, we're all going to jail for nothing. So this is the type of insights he has, not just in technology, but in people in life. And John, where do things stand with you and Kim.com today? Oh, fuck me, not good. Kim does not do so I had to back out of the deal. Kim went postal, went ballistic. I mean, you can go back three years and see all of the, the shit that was coming out of Kim Tom's account because we were, going to, we were going to pass a few million dollars to him to fund this thing. But after listening to Nolan, every single member of the board voted no, including me that came up with the plan. Um, so Kim did not care for that. He didn't get his money, didn't get his support. And even though he should have had the common sense to know that he would get away with whatever, but I'm in America or was in, and I'd be like, even though it was not illegal, simply because, ah, John McAfee is doing it on Kim.com. Good. We'll get Kim by getting John. I see. Now, I would like to talk to you about um, you running for, you're running for president. Tell me what's on your mind. Nothing. What's on my mind, though, and nothing in terms of running for president. I mean, I am running. This is my second time. I ran under the Libertarian banner in 2016, uh, runner-up. Um, but I don't want to be president because I won't think it matters who the president is. I mean, we, we have a system, people, that's broken. I mean, it's like a car with a frozen steering wheel wherever the fuck we want to go. It doesn't matter. And whoever we put in that driver's seat doesn't matter. The car's going where it's going. Presidents lost their power in 1955. And Dwight Eisenhower said it when he said, American people, and when he left office, American people, you must be aware of the CIA and the military-industrial complex because they are the greatest threats to our system of democracy. The next president, now that was Dwight Eisenhower leaving office after doing nothing to the CIA. President Kennedy came along and saw this nightmare, 
said, I'm just disbanding because we don't need it. We've got 14 covert agencies, Army intelligence, Navy intelligence, uh, Air Force intelligence. Uh, we've got the NSA. We've got the Secret Service. Good God Almighty, why do we need the CIA? But before he could disband them, poor fellow met with an accident. Someone accidentally shot him before he could disband the CIA. That sent a message to our Congress and to, and to anybody who was listening that do not fuck with us. Now, President Nixon, very smart, a lot smarter politically than Kennedy or even Eisenhower, merely said, listen, we have to have more information because the CIA operates on one principle. It's called need to know. And who decides need to know? <laughs> not presidents and certainly not congressmen. No. The CIA decides need to know and therefore chooses what information it wants to make presidents do what they will, like they were puppets on strings. So you think Nixon the president works for the CIA? No, he doesn't. Willingly, no. Uh, let, let me finish, because okay. I think you'll understand. Nixon, learning well from what happened to Kennedy, did not try to interfere or cripple the CIA in any way. He merely said, please, God, we need more information. And he kept insisting on it. What happened to him? He had to fucking resign because someone created a fabricated robbery implicating the president, and he was gone. So the message there was to future presidents and our Congress, listen, we are not heartless beings. We did not kill this man. But we will not, you know already, we won't tolerate being fucked with. Now we're telling you, we won't tolerate being annoyed. That was the last offense to the CIA. How do they work? Please, God, do you understand? Selective information is the ultimate power. If I, for example, want the president to pass or to work for uh, less gun control and more everybody should have a gun, as an example, here's what I would do as the CIA. Or this is not a realistic analogy, but please suspend disbelief from it. Imagine presidents don't have any data on gun issues except what the CIA tells them. Right? So now the CIA, first month, comes and says there were. 38 incidents where grandmothers and, and pregnant wives and even children saved their families by having a gun on hand and killing brutal, possibly deadly intruders. And by the way, there was only one incident where a liquor store was held up with a gun last month. Now, all of those would be true. You can always find an instance of a liquor store being held up with a gun. Happens 50 times a day. And you can certainly find incidents of all of these things. So if I give the information, 38 lives saved by people having guns, and only one liquor store not robbed, 
by people who are criminals owning guns. Well, what's going to happen? The CIA, please God, does not even stick to the truth. Sometimes, not often, but sometimes it will fabricate an entire project. In the second Gulf War, the rise of Iraq totally fucked with the CIA's plans for the Middle East. They sat down and said, what are we going to do? And I know this for a fucking fact. The CIA was my first and the largest and has always been my largest customer with McAfee. I was the only computer security people in the world for two years. <laughs> and what's the CIA interested in? Security. So, no, I know these people. Um, so, they're sitting down going, what are we going to do? Somebody said, let's just assassinate Saddam. And somebody else says, no, you know, listen, so-and-so is going to be second in command. It's going to be even worse. And someone goes, well, let's bomb them into oblivion. And people go, well, fuck me, that's a good idea. And whoever's in charge of the meeting says, Fred, Frank, you guys know the president, right? And by the way, the CIA calls presidents transients. They're only there for four years, eight max. CIA is lifetime. So, Fred, you guys go and talk to the president. What happens? Go to the president. Mr. President, um, I regret to tell you that we have with 100% certainty information guaranteeing that Iraq has nuclear weapons. And as we've already told you, Mr. President, they have ballistic missiles capable of reaching England, our closest ally. And sir, we know that Iraq is at the on your side. And I'm so sorry to have to tell you this. And I wish that I could bear the burden of your decision for you, but I cannot. I am merely the messenger that gives you the information upon which you must act, Mr. President. What does the President do? Bombs Iraq in the Stone Age. Were there weapons of mass destruction? No. The entire world knew it. The American public knew it. The only people who didn't know it was the President and Congress. <laughs> Please, God, people, wake up. And so it was a CIA con. Yes, please, God, yes. Well, hang on. How do you think Butch got the information that Iraq had nuclear weapons? He only has one source. That's the CIA. So they told him, and they, of course, knew absolutely there were no nuclear weapons there. They and just so why do you think they want bomb? Why did they want to do it then? Why did the CIA want to set up I a had, war? If I had that information, I would rule the world. No, sir. Hmm. All we can see is the effects of the actions of covert agencies. We can see what they're doing. Obviously, they passed bad information to Bush. They bombed Iraq. Why? We can only assume that it was because of some, who knows, oblique plan of the CIA for the Middle East did not account for Iraq being a power. And when it became a power, they said, well, that's got to stop. That could be as simple as that. Hmm. Or it could be that, and by the way, you think 
the CIA had appointed by the president <laughs> is the head of the CIA. <laughs> Not people. These are lifetime employees. You never leave the CIA. You might get whacked, but you don't leave. You don't quit. And you never retire. Never. It is a lifetime job. Presidents come for four years, and their appointees are there for four years or eight at max. So you know what you're doing. And suddenly there's a boss up there that's only, he's a transient. No, they pay no attention to transient. They, they treat the transients like they treat the president as of no importance to the governance of America and only the CIA's objectives, which I believe are not evil. No, I think these fuckers are, are patriotic. I do. They truly want the best in the national interest of America. It's just they're fucked up by their own arrogance and power. And that power is the ultimate veto power, most powerful of all powers, the power to say no. And that power is embodied in the simple phrase, Mr. President, you don't have a need to know. And they may legally say that for anything that they choose. And we have given them that power. You tell me what is more powerful than no. Congress Congress can spend 10 years and the entire world agrees with them. Every single American votes in favor of it. But the presidential power of veto says, nope, not happening. Not doing it. Now, I'm curious. And the the CIA's power of veto is the power of vetoing critical information to our presidents so that our presidents act in not the national interests that we vote for, but the national interests of the CIA. Anyway, this one. I got it. Now, I'm curious, John. Um, do you... Uh do you have a prediction as to who's going to be the next president of the United States? I don't care. Why should I even predict it? Why should I bother thinking about it? It's not going to matter. Please, God, people, forget theory. Forget everything else. And let's look at your own eyes and your own ears and your own senses. For any of you who have been to more than one presidential election in your life, you will have noticed one thing. If you notice things. And that thing is nothing in your life changes. Not a single hair on your head is wafted by that massive change of power. No, you're still drinking beer, but from the same company, you drive a car, you marry the same woman, you may not be, but not because of the president. No, people, nothing changes in life. And when you think it might, as when Obama, he spent three years getting Obamacare in. And he goes, finally, my life will change because it wasn't fully implemented. What happened? The next administration eradicated it as if it never existed. 
please don't listen to me. Listen to your own heart and people. Use your fuck sense. It does not matter who you elect president. And if it did, thank God it doesn't, because if it did, we would be fucked. Look at who we vote for. We vote for people who spend tens of millions of dollars to get a job paying $200,000 a year. Uh, Did you guys forget your elementary math? I would ask the question, what the fuck? Now you're going, oh, he may not or she may not have spent it, but no, the backers, somebody goddamn spent it. Now they either spent it for two purposes. One, altruism. We're spending our money to help the people of America. And if anybody out there believes that, I mean, anybody at all, you need to get to a therapist as soon as possible because you have a problem. So this is our created problem. We created it. We vote for these idiots who in the right mind go, wait a minute, that guy's spending money to take this job. Who does that? I mean, sure, if you're making two hundred thousand and you spend two thousand to get it, well, you're you're hundred and ninety-eight thousand and a good. But if you spend ten million to get it, then you're nine million, nine hundred and ninety-eight dollars in the fucking holes. Will you tell me who's crazy? The people we elect or us? We need to elect people who we have to drag kicking and screaming into the Oval Office saying no. And we're doing it because we know they are the best for the job. Do you think people that George Washington wanted the presidency of the United States? Good God, he was the supreme commander of the Continental Fucking Army. You don't get any more power than that. I mean, it was a huge demotion. And not just that, he was an old fucking man. Lost his teeth. He'd been a warrior his whole life. He wanted to fucking fish on the Potomac River. I mean, which has good fishing, by the way. Uh, But no, he was not allowed to do that. Because seriously, look at the crowd. Who could you pick and choose? Thomas Jefferson? I mean, a brilliant mind. But spend all of his spare time fucking fucking his servants. Uh, you know, Benjamin Franklin, good God, that's even worse. No, there was nobody but George Washington. Everybody goes, Ben, you want the job? Oh, are you crazy? Uh, what, what about you, Jefferson? No, man, I don't know shit about organizing. No, there was only one man. He did not want it. He was shamed into the presidency. Do you see how far we have come from that honest and real beginning of our country? We have come to people spending as much as a hundred million dollars for a job paying 250000 no. And I've heard rumors, John, we might even get to a point where there's a billion dollar election. You know, 
listen, if it's it's more than the more than the salary, there's a problem. I mean, if it's more than two hundred thousand people, see, we have not much ROI. <laughs> no, the problem is this: if a person or group is willing to spend that much to get a position of power in our government, the goal and the objective and the heart of that person is not focused on us, the people. Now, John, I know I don't have you for much longer. Um, is there anything else you'd no, like to I, touch one on? More, one more one more question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let me let me open it up to you. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap? Not anything, except I, I don't want to talk about eating those children in Cincinnati. I didn't do it, I swear. Um, they, um, you know, I, I was drunk at the time and don't remember. Plus, I, I don't even like children. Why would I eat them? So... It's a joke, my friend. Therefore, let's move on. <laughs> I've heard you accused of a lot of things. <laughs> but yeah, no, actually, I don't think I've ever been accused of eating children. Although, how would I know? <laughs> I'm not omniscient. But to my knowledge, I've never been charged with that or accused of that. Well, John, uh, this has been absolutely fascinating. I want to thank you for your time. And uh and, um, you know, spending this time with me. It's been uh, very illuminating. And I also want to thank you for being one of the original, as we say today, the OG pioneers of entrepreneurship in Silicon Valley. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have the word OG back then, nor would we have understood it. <laughs> thank you, John. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. And there he is, John McAfee, real and raw. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. And even if you didn't enjoy it in a classic sense, hopefully you found it intriguing and interesting. Um, no matter what you think of John, um, he is a, a big voice in both the tech world and uh, the political world. All right. We would like to thank John McAfee himself. Thanks for hanging out, John. And if you want to support his uh, run for the presidency, check out McAfee, M-C-A-F-E-E, 2020. Com. And while you're checking out new stuff, why not check out my new marketing podcast, Lockhead on Marketing. And thank you so much for making Lockhead on Marketing the number one marketing and number one business podcast on Apple. Also, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. This podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All rights do remain perturbed. Warning, clearly, this podcast goes better with libations. You can always visit us at lockhead.com. Feel free to send us email. We'll do our best to get back to you. Black hole at lockhead.com. Teach peace. Remember that podcasts make great gifts. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Listen to Tom Waits. And don't forget that happy chickens make healthy eggs. So only buy pasture raised free range eggs because chickens are people too. Thank you so much, Candy Dandy. I love you, mom and dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Richard C. Kelly, chairman of the board at PG&E. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. That's it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you investing part of your life with me. Stay legendary. And of course, until we're together again, follow your difference.